Okay, um, welcome to the uh, first session of our summer uh, seminar. Uh, this, the first six weeks of the summer, we're going to be doing something called Two Ways to Live, um, and it is basically a class built around this track right here, so I hope you grabbed one off the back table. Um, it's called Two Ways to Live. It's put out by a group called Matthias Media, and it is a really good, really simple, really easy to understand and explain gospel track, probably one of the best ones I've ever seen. Um, so I'd highly recommend we have enough for everybody to grab one, um, and if we need to get more, we'll get more uh, so that you can hand them out to, to people you know and friends, whatever you need to do. Also make sure that you have the outline for this morning so you can make notes if you want to. Um, that's also back there. Or actually, I think Holmes is handing them out. Okay, so this whole class, the whole point of this is to kind of explain what the gospel is, help you understand it better, and hopefully um, help you be able to present it more clearly to people that you come in contact with. But before, let's get, we've, before we get started, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for a chance um, to come together and to consider how we may better present the gospel, how we can understand it better. And we pray that um, throughout the course of this, um, this class, of this study, um, that you will give us all hearts for evangelism, hearts to share the gospel with those around us in confidence uh, that we can present it clearly um, and that you have the power to change hearts. And we thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, the point of this class is to unpack, understand, and articulate the gospel message. That's the whole goal. Um, And we're going to spend one week uh, covering each point of this Two Ways to Live track. Um, There are six of those points. Um, Basically, there are two ways to live classes designed to help us um, solidify the content of the gospel in our own minds uh, so that we can go out and share it with others. That's the goal. Um, So first off, this morning, I want to give us an introduction to the topic of evangelism kind of as a whole. Uh, And then I'll go into the first point of this actual, of this uh, two ways to live uh, track, and we'll get into that as well. But before we get started, we'll first talk about evangelism and kind of what the point of it is as a whole. So the first point on your um, outline there is faith comes by hearing. Okay, I want you guys to think about, if you're a Christian in this room, think about the circumstances uh, under which you heard and believed the gospel. Think about who explained it to you. Um, I can remember um, when I was 10, uh, I had heard it before, I'm sure, but I remember specifically a time when this man named Byron Myers sat down and explained it to me that I was a sinner and that I needed a, a savior. And for the first time, that clicked in my brain of what that meant. Um, so I'm sure that you have a story like that. And the point of that is to show you that we as Christians have all had this message of the gospel proclaimed to us. In, in one way, our stories aren't really that unique, right? Um, every Christian has had to have the gospel presented to them, uh, whether by a family member or a complete stranger. Um, there's no such thing as a Christian who's never heard the gospel. Okay, it's necessary. And that's why it's so important that we understand and share this message with other people. And so that's why the primary goal of this class um, is to equip all of us to better share the gospel with others. Um, And as we go through this class, I hope that you'll keep that in your mind. Um, Faith comes by hearing, right? That's what scripture tells us. Hearing the gospel, hearing the word. And God has chosen us as believers to be the instruments through which that word is spoken. Okay, so we are to proclaim it, right? We want others to hear it. So let's talk about what evangelism is. 
Um, J.I. Packer writes that the point of evangelism is to present Christ Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to sinful people with the aim that they may come to put their trust in God through him, to accept him as their savior, and serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. Now, that's a very eloquent, beautiful statement of what evangelism is. But if we kind of boil that down, what's the goal of evangelism? Okay, the goal of evangelism is to present a specific message. Okay, what is that message? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ to a specific people, lost people, lost men, lost women, lost children all over the world. In the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We can't do it by ourselves. We can't trust in our own power. We have to recognize that true change can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit with a specific purpose that those who hear would repent and believe and live their lives to glorify God, okay? So that's kind of the four points there. Specific message to a specific people, the power of the Holy Spirit with a specific purpose. That is what evangelism is. So then the next question would be, okay, well, that's what evangelism is, but what is it not? Um, there's a lot of things that we confuse with evangelism, um, and we want to get straight what exactly it means to evangelize. Um, what are some things that get confused? Um, a personal testimony might be considered evangelism, talking about how, how your life has been changed. Um, apologetics might be confused with evangelism. Um, maybe helping the poor. Uh, maybe doing good works, whatever they might be. Maybe raising good kids. Right? Sometimes these things get confused for evangelism. In fact, um, you may have heard that, that phrase St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, if necessary use words. Well, there's a problem with that, right? Um, these things only express the fruit of the gospel, the implications of it, what it does for us. They don't actually proclaim the gospel. They don't make a call to repentance or belief. Helping the poor or doing good works isn't proclaiming the way to salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay? The gospel is fundamentally good news. That's what evangel is. Evangelize is bringing good news. Okay? Evangelism isn't talking about what we've done or showing how, how we can raise good kids. It's about Christ and what he's done. Okay, so that's, that's the point here. The gospel is necessarily words. You can't preach it without saying something, okay? Our actions alone cannot preach the gospel. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how we live as Christians. Um, our lives ought to give testimony to the truths that we are preaching, right? Proclaiming things, we ought to live up to them. Um, we should speak God's word as those who are truly living out God's word. Um, scripture tells us that um, in 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says that we are to be the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, right? So we want to emanate with Christ in all that we do, but we can't just let what we do be a substitute for actually saying the words of what the gospel is to those around us. Um, one person noted that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, 
and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Okay? We don't want to preach a gospel and then show people that it doesn't actually do anything in our lives. Okay, so that's what evangelism is, what it's not. We have to also think about, okay, this is what evangelism is. Who's supposed to do it? A lot of times we have this idea, okay, evangelism is the job of people who are, you know, well-versed in Scripture, who are maybe preachers or teachers uh, within the church, people who know a lot, who are really passionate about Jesus stuff. Those are the ones who go out and evangelize, right? Well, actually... (laughs) The job of evangelism um, is given pretty explicitly to all believers. Um, consider at the end of Christ's ministry, um, we have what is called, often called the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what Jesus tells them to do. And then in Acts, we see the church do this. So in Acts 8, uh, 1 through 4, it says, And on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay? So that's, that's not the apostles, right? It says all but the apostles were scattered. And all of those who were scattered out, what did they do? They preached the word wherever they went. That's them fulfilling the Great Commission. And wherever they went ultimately became here to America, right? We are the other ends of the earth which have been reached by the gospel now. So we should rejoice, right? We should be glorifying God that we have been entrusted with this message of salvation, Okay? We've heard it. We've received the bread of life. And now our great joy is to tell others where to get it so that they can live. And I hope that through this course, through this study, um, the Holy Spirit will give you the knowledge and the courage to do that more effectively. Okay, the next um, question we have to ask ourselves: um, if we know that what evangelism is, we know what it's not, and we know who, that we are all supposed to do it. So what does it look like when we do it successfully? What is successful evangelism? For some people, successful evangelism is, well, did they believe, right? Did they convert? Um, if you can get them to walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, commit their life to Jesus, then there you go. That's successful evangelism. But is that really what we're after? Is, is it our responsibility as Christians to just get the job done, to just get as many people as possible there, right? It, early in uh, church history, uh, when Constantine was ruling, he decided to make the Roman Empire Christian. And one of the first things he did was he was like, well, in order to make everybody Christian, everybody has to be baptized. So he set up huge baptistries all over the place, and just people lined up, and he just walked them through the baptistries. All right, now we got a nation of Christians now that we've baptized everybody. Does that get the job done? Is that what we're called to do? Well, if the goal of evangelism is conversion, if the only goal is get the people to say something, then Jesus wasn't successful at evangelism. The apostles weren't successful at evangelism. 
All the disciples and church fathers throughout history were not successful at evangelism if that's the goal that we have. Because not everybody believes. So, what is successful evangelism? Well, I want to give you three questions that you can ask yourself. And if you say yes to these three questions, then what you're doing is successful evangelism, okay? So here we go. Question number one. Are you presenting the gospel accurately and completely? Sometimes we're tempted when we're sharing the gospel to kind of dumb it down, right? To say, well, maybe your sin's not that bad, or maybe... um, Maybe this is going to fix your problems, right? We want to make it sound like Jesus is just a Band-Aid to fix all of our little wounds, and we'll feel better, right? And we don't really focus too much on the price of following Christ, that sometimes it's not easy. Do you try to make the gospel more appealing by not saying it in its fullness? Well, I pray that this seminar will help us understand better why we have to preach the whole gospel every time we share it, okay? It's important that we get the whole gospel completely and accurately whenever we preach it. Otherwise, we're not leading them to the real Christ, right? So that's question one. Are you presenting the gospel accurately and completely? Question two. Are you sharing the gospel with lost people? Um... Ask yourself, which non-Christians in your life have never heard the gospel from you? Um, Who are you praying that you might be able to share the gospel with? Are you making the most out of every opportunity that you have with all the unbelievers that are around you, family, friends, acquaintances? Now, there's a thing that comes up. We don't share the gospel all the time, right? And we have to figure out why we don't do that. A few reasons um, that are probably the most common ones... Um, Fear of man. Well, okay, yeah, we're scared that someone's going to think something of us. They're not going to like us. They're going to think we're stupid or silly or whatever. That is a common reason why we don't share the gospel. You might also think about... um, You don't know it well enough. You don't feel like you really grasp it clearly enough to be able to explain it clearly, right? I don't want to tell them something wrong because that's just going to hurt them more than help them, right? I want to be sure that I get say it right. And we're so worried that our words won't be the right words. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we just don't take the time to present the gospel to other people. Or, this is one that hits home to me, maybe you only know Christian people. All your friends are Christians. For me, I work at a Christian school Pretty much my entire realm of friends is is Christians, right? My church friends, my work friends, everybody. Who could I share the gospel with? Well, all of these reasons why we don't share the gospel ultimately come down to us and our failures, right? And the remedy to all of them is not found in a class like this, okay? Now, it may help you know it well enough, maybe, but really all of these things can only be found in trusting God and obeying Him. That's how we fix it. Are you scared of people, what they think of you? Well, maybe you should consider whether you're more scared of people or more scared of God. 
Because he's given you a mission to do. And if we neglect that out of fear of man, aren't we saying that people are more important than he is? Maybe you don't well, know it well enough. Well, pray that God through his spirit will give you the longing to know it better. <laughs> that you'll seek it out. That you'll study it more. Maybe this class will help you do just that. Are you too busy? Well, I hope that you will pray and through obedience to Christ, find time to fulfill this calling. Do you only have Christian friends? Make new ones. Find people that you don't know, that you can know, that you can share the gospel with. Okay, so in this trusting God through obedience, this brings us to that final question. So first question, are you presenting the gospel accurately and completely? Are you sharing it with lost people? And third question, are you relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? We're called to preach. We're called to obedience. But only God can bring dead people to life. We're called to share, to plant seeds, to water seeds. But the growth comes from God alone. It's not for us to manipulate a person into heaven. Because no matter what we can get them to say with their lips... Heart change can only happen when God changes it. And that should lead us to prayer. So I hope that, that you will be praying about these three questions, right? Praying that God will help you understand the gospel accurately. Praying that he will put lost people in your way to share it with. And praying that you will rely on his power and that he will move on the hearts of the people that you share it with. Evangelism comes from God alone, and so he gets the glory from it. If we focus on the Holy Spirit being the power in which this evangelism takes place, then it's not on us anymore, right? We don't have to worry about, oh, I didn't do that well enough. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't good enough because they didn't believe. If we recognize that it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can change hearts, if we obey, we, have to, we just trust God for the rest, and our obedience will be blessed. That's what he tells us. All right, so one more thought, um, kind of concluding our section on evangelism. Um, this class, what we're doing here, this Who Is to Live material, um, is for anybody. Um, you might think, oh, well, this is for a you know, Christian, Christian who's been a Christian for a long time so that they can go out and evangelize. Well, we just explained that it's the job of every Christian to evangelize, right? So... Whether you are a brand new Christian, not a Christian yet even, or you've been following Christ for 40 years, recognize that the gospel isn't some magical once and done thing, okay? It's not like we just believe it and then we're good. Yes, the gospel is the essence of what becoming a Christian relies on, but it's also what sustains believers throughout our whole lives. We have to continually hear and preach the gospel to ourselves, it's vital for us to, to dive into the gospel regularly. Just begin where you are, okay? Even if you're hearing these truths for the first time, for the thousandth time, it doesn't matter. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and we should rejoice over it no matter how many times we've heard it. Okay, so that's a, enough intro. Um, let's actually get into the gospel. So, since the goal of this class is to clearly evangelize, um, to be able to clearly articulate the gospel when it comes up in conversation, I want to start this 
by giving a brief presentation of what the gospel is so that when we start with our first point this week and as we continue through the rest of the weeks, uh, you can kind of keep this in your mind. The gospel begins with God. He is the loving ruler and creator, and he created the world, and he created man. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy to receive glory and power and honor. He is the loving ruler and creator, and he's worthy of those things. But man rebelled. Man wanted to be king instead. He tried to run his life his own way, and in essence, tried to dethrone God. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's none who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, so what? Nobody's perfect, right? Um, to err is human. What's the big deal? Yeah. Well, the big and eternal deal is that God will not let people keep rebelling against him forever. Someday, he will call us all to account for everything that we've done. Hebrews 9.27 says that just as a man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, we know that we all die. We'll all face God's judgment, a judgment according to God's holy and righteous character and his holy and righteous standard, which means that we would all fail on our own. And the punishment for rebellion against God is death and eternal torment in a place that is real, that is called hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth as a man, to live a perfect life that nobody else could live. He deserved no punishment, but he still chose to die on the cross and take the punishment that we deserved. Through that, he provides us the offer of forgiveness. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. God accepted Jesus' death as payment in full for the sins of people just like you and me. And he demonstrated his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising him from the dead. Because Jesus conquered death, he can give us life. And one day, he will return and he will judge the world. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that, ev- that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so, because of all these things, God demands a response from us. There are only two ways to live. We can either live our way, continue to reject God as the ruler and bring condemnation and suffering on ourselves, or we can go God's way. We can repent and believe and submit to Christ as our ruler and rely on Jesus' death and resurrection to grant us salvation and life everlasting. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. It is good news that Jesus saves sinners. So I want you to kind of understand what that gospel is. Think about the value of something like this track. Um, 
you don't have to have this to present the gospel. It's an, it, you could just read through the book of John with someone. You could read through the first few chapters of Romans. You could memorize, there's a thing called the Roman road, which is great. There's great ways to share the gospel. But something like this is useful because, for one, it helps make sure that we're being clear. Right? We want to make sure that we're clearly presenting what the gospel says, and this makes sure that we're doing that. It also helps us approach the gospel from many different vantage points. Maybe someone's coming at it from a former religious background. Maybe they've been an atheist. It doesn't matter. When you approach it this way, it allows you to start somewhere that's clear, that's easy to access. And this allows us to summarize the gospel quickly because sometimes that's all we have time for. Sometimes we're too busy to spend three hours working through the gospel of John with someone. So that is the purpose of evangelism. That is what evangelism is. And that is why we are going through this study uh, over the next few weeks. So to start this study, um, if you look at point number two um, on your outline, we're going to actually look at uh, the first point, which if you look in your Two Ways to Live track, you see that the first point is God. I think that any of the best gospel presentations that are available, um, the best ones always start with God. They begin with the one who is at the beginning, who is at the center of all things. Because before we can talk about sin, we have to know who we've sinned against. Before we can talk about salvation in Christ, we need to know where Christ came from, who he claimed to be. We need, before we can talk about heaven, uh, we need to know who created heaven. Who is the object of worship in heaven? Before we can talk about us, we have to know who made us. So we have to begin with God. And it uses this handy little picture, right, of a crown. That's God. The study of God is inexhaustible. Um, If you remember our, when we worked through the systematic theology section, And we had two weeks that we spent on the attributes of God because there are too many. God, there's a lot about him that we can seek to understand and probably never fully grasp. But for our purposes today, we're going to talk about two fundamental descriptions of God. And these really summarize much of his other attributes. So we're going to talk about God as our creator and as our loving ruler. Now, there's a really great verse that communicates this truth clearly, Revelation 4.11, and it's, all, it's there on your handout as well. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, God is the loving ruler of the world. He created the world, and he created man to be rulers of the world underneath him. So here's the world, kind of, and here's mankind we're happily ruling the world underneath God, right? God, man, world. Keep this picture in your mind because each of the subsequent sections of this twist this picture a little bit um, and show you in, in an image, a very simple image, what the truths of the gospel are. All right, so God is the very important first point, and we really want to communicate clearly and accurately who God is when we're presenting the gospel. Revelation 4.11 is a great verse to start with because it makes a statement that God is the creator. 
that he's authored everything. He's made it all. And it says that he is the creator and author, and thereby, because of that, he's worthy to be honored and glorified and to receive all the power. Those are characteristics of a ruler. So now you might ask, why is it important that we start here? Why do we have to start with God? It's his gospel, right? It doesn't make any sense for us to talk about the gospel without God being the core of it. Um, As Christians, we want to show that God is supreme. We exist to his glory, not to our own. And we don't naturally do that. If we started with man instead, um, there's some problems would come up. One thing is that quite often we would end up making the gospel something that just makes people happy, right? It just fixes their, their problems. Just put a little Jesus on it and it'll be better, right? And that's a, that's a twisted idea of what the gospel is. Believing in Christ should bring about joy and happiness in our lives, but it doesn't magically fix all our problems. And if we think of the gospel that way, we're thinking of it wrongly. That's a man-centered approach to what the gospel says. God, though, is in rightful authority over us, and whether we like it or not, we're accountable to him. This gospel is his terms, not our terms. So, with that kind of intro in mind, uh, let's look at how Scripture points to these two positions which God holds. Um, The first one is God as the creator of all things. All right, God created everything. Um, The first question of the catechism that I do with, with Isaac and Judah is, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? All things. Okay, when we're learning this, we start with God making us making everything in the world. There was never a time when God didn't exist and everything that exists other than him has been created by him. He's always been. He always will be. He has no beginning and no end. He's self-existent, independent of all things, and yet everything is dependent on him. A few scriptures. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. John 1, 3. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Everything that we know and understand has come into existence because God created it. And he did it for a very specific purpose, to bring him glory. So we have to start with God because that's where the Bible starts. Second point, God is the ruler of all. Why? Because he created it. Think about copyright laws or patents. When you make something, you have ownership over it. God made everything, therefore he has ownership and rule and authority over everything. Consider Job chapter 12 verse 10. In God's hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. In his hand. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Acts 17.25 And God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
because he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. For in him we live and move and have our being. Every single thing that God created is under his rule. Every creature, every human, even the nations and its rulers and kings are under his rule. He is in control. That's another reason why we have to start with him. But why focus on these two? Why do we need to think of creator and ruler as the core ideas here in this gospel presentation? I think it's because of where we come in. We come into the picture at creation, right? And according to the Bible, we are created in God's image and appointed by him to rule over the rest of creation. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Notice here that the creation account places emphasis on man and man's relationship to the earth. Okay? What this does for us is it helps us see that we're not meaningless, right? There's a purpose why God made us. We're not just a cosmic accident that happened to bubble up over millions of years, but we were created by God, and therefore he has rightful authority and rule over us, over everything that he created. Now, that presents a bit of a problem because um, as humans, we don't really like to be told what to do, right? Um, When someone's directing us around, telling us uh, everything to do, kind of gets under our skin sometimes. Why? Because we feel like they don't have the right, right? We think, no, 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 you, you can't tell me what to do because of whatever reason, because you're not, I don't respect you in that way, because you're not big enough, because you're not smart enough, because you're not skilled enough in whatever this thing might be. Who are you to tell me what to do? We can't say that to God. In everything that we could offer as an excuse for someone not to tell us what to do, not to direct us, not to have authority over us, God supersedes all of those excuses. There's no reason that we can come up with (laughs) that we could possibly give why God shouldn't have authority over us. He's called us to live under his rule, to display his image, and to show his glory to this world. And he calls us, and this is the crazy part, he calls us to be in a relationship with him. Submit to him lovingly and to love to do what he calls us to do. That's a different kind of ruler, right? In this world, the authorities that we have over us, they're not interested in relationships. They're not interested in loving submission. God's not a cruel and harsh ruler. He's a loving, a kind ruler who knows what's best for his creation. Think about when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. How did he do it? He presented them with this idea that God couldn't possibly be an authority and loving at the same time. Oh, did he really say that you would die? How could he really love you if 
if by doing this you would die. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's just trying to keep you in submission. That's the first lie that was told was this idea that authority, the authority of God is something to be shunned or hated because it puts us in a box. No, it gives us the ability to do anything because without him giving us this great power, this awesome privilege, then we would, we would be eating dirt. He created us to live under his rule. And no matter what we sometimes might think, living under his rule is the best place to be. It's much better than living under anybody else's rule, especially our own. Because we're all imperfect. We make mistakes. But God is perfect. So his rule is perfect. So his love is perfect. All right, so that is the first point of this two ways to live. God is a loving ruler and creator. He made all things, and because of that, he has the authority over them. Next week, we'll be looking at our relationship to God, part two. What happened? Why is there a problem in this world today? But before we conclude, uh, one final word I kind of want to give to you. Um, As you're preparing to share the gospel with people, um, I want you to really remember our final authority isn't a little book like this. It isn't a class that we take. It isn't whatever. It's the word of God. We have to remember that the authority for this gospel is the word. That's how we understand anything about God. And since that's the case, I would really like to encourage you to memorize the scripture text for each of the sections throughout this each week as we go through them, okay? So this week, if you look in there, you see uh, at the bottom of that first page, the green page, it says uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Memorize that verse this week. It'll take you 10 minutes to get it memorized tomorrow maybe, and then just go over it each morning. Think about it. If you do that for each of the verses in this, in this track, then that's going to give you the core, right? What does the scripture say the gospel is? Okay, and that's going to give you strength. That's going to give you courage. That's going to give you confidence that when you present this, you know, you know what your authority is. You know that it's, that it's right here uh, in the scriptures. Does anyone have any questions about anything that we've covered today? All right, well, let's, um, let's have a prayer and then uh, we'll have some time to hang out before the service starts. Father, we thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the truth of Christ. Thank you for the gift that you've given us in sending him to pay the price for our sins. I pray that, that this, this study that we're gonna do will give us all confidence, courage, and give us the the heart to obey you in this duty of evangelism which you've called us to. And we pray most of all that your Holy Spirit will accompany us, give us power, and will come upon the hearts of those that we come in contact with so that they might know you and that they might glorify you. We pray that we will do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.